Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Because fish haven't got eyebrows to uh, cover their eyes when it's sunny, they tend to go deeper and in faster water. So a larger fly with a bit of flash tends and dark colours tends to show up better to a fish. What I don't try and fish it slowly, I fish it fast so that they'll just see it go past them quickly. And I tend to find that that gets me more fish than fishing something small and slow. That was Stuart Foxel on his thinking behind steelhead fly selection. Connect our kings, Atlantic salmon, and steelhead today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. If you get a moment before we get going here, it'd be great if you can share this episode out. Maybe uh, look back in the back catalog if you've been listening for a while and share that favorite episode. Uh, click that link down in your app and find a good person to text it to, send an email, uh, whatever it takes. If you want to go the next level, try to share it on Instagram. We recently had a couple of people share some stories out there on Instagram. So would love that. Uh, would always love that. Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. These are not your lodge style trips. These are not your uh, car style trips. This is remote floating in, uh, flying in at times, floating in down Alaska in the middle of nowhere, mousing for rainbows, camping out under the stars of the Alaskan sky. This is good stuff. We did a trip earlier this year, and it was amazing. You can check out these trips right now from Fishhound, wetflyswing.com slash fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D. Today's episode is sponsored by Drifthook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos, easy-to-follow guides. Their fly shop quality flies are hand-tied and inspected before being packed in these careful, durable packs. And I can tell you, these are sweet little fly boxes. Check them out right now. Uh, Drifthook, wetflyswing.com slash D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K. Drifthook. Stuart Foxwell takes us into the madness behind his steelhead addiction. Stuart shares the story of his first trip to BC and how in subsequent years, he found himself uh, scrapping together whatever change he could to put together this long trip over from England and uh, and found himself uh, crashing out on couches, whatever it took to, to get that steelhead fixed. So this is a pretty, pretty fun story. We also find out about uh, the Atlantic salmon or steelhead choice. Which one is the winner? Stuart digs into that. And then we also hear a little bit about his flies that he ties through aqua flies. And before we get out of here, we're going to hear a cool story about Stuart's mom and, and her passion and some of the amazing fish that uh, she's got into over the years. So this is good. Some good family stuff, some good friends. It's all here. Stuart takes us into uh, some good stuff today. So without further ado, here we go. Stuart Foxel from Stuart Foxel Flies. How's it going, Stuart? Very good. Thank you, Dave. Nice, uh, nice uh, for you to uh, invite me to your show. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate you making the time today to uh, come on and chat a little about fly tying. And, you know, I think we're going to dig into some steelhead, some Atlantic salmon. You know, you've done a lot of traveling out west and you're over across the pond. Uh, and we're going to talk about that as well. Before we get into all that and how you got to where you are uh, kind of in your fly fishing career, uh, talk about, bring us right back to fly fishing. How did you first get started? 
fly fishing actually was uh it was me bullying my dad a little bit uh my mom's family uh had always fished but uh we've got something over here called coarse fishing which uh is is fishing for unsporting fish so carp and fish like that and, and fishing uh gear mainly floats and ledgering things like that and dad dad took us up to wales when i was about four or five she mum bullied dad into fishing so dad started fishing and really took to it so when i came along i obviously had no choice in the matter but dad took us up to wales when i was about four and he was he was spinning for pike funnily enough and a salmon followed the spinner straight to his feet and that that got him into uh, salmon and trout fishing, uh, but once again it was it was mainly spinning etc that we was doing. Uh, and then one holiday up in Scotland a year or two later, uh, I saw some guys fly fishing. Uh, we was on the association water in the middle of Inverness, on the River Ness, and. Uh, all I was doing all day was trying to use my spinner like a fly rod, uh, <laughs> practicing to fly cast. So dad sort of said, oh, I'm going to have to buy him a fly a fly rod. And uh, he bought one as well. And we sort of taught ourselves to fly fish from there. Oh, wow. So you saw, and this is on the river, you said the river Ness? Yes, where the Loch Ness Monster is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Loch Ness Monster Nice. So, and how, when was that? Like, how old were you when you first uh, saw that person? I had been yeah. about five or six. So that was 40 odd years ago. Yeah, right, right. And, and when did you, what was that transition from there? You know what I mean? When did you get into it where you were just kind of addicted to that, that sort of, you know, I guess this is the long, the long rods? Yeah, it was long rods, uh, obviously being small as well. Uh, we started off mainly on trout, trout fly fishing and using single handers and then progressed into double handers. But at the time then, uh, double handed rods, especially for Atlantics, were, were big rods. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably talking when I was nine, dad would have bought me my first my first double hander, which would have been a, a an old Bruce and Walker fourteen foot rod, which that would have been classed as a smallish rod as well, which is why he bought it me. But I used that for years. You, you know, it's great casting rod, good fishing rod. Yeah, so it is interesting for me. We've I always like that. You know, we call it our like the transition to spay, right? How did you get into it? Yes. It's, it's interesting here because we're a lot a little bit later, right? And and yeah. so up there, when you know, I know you've done some spay recently. Are people still like? Is it still the long? Right? How is it different from that first time your five year old kids seeing what they're using to now over there on the other side in, in you know in the UK? It has moved. There's definite trends. Uh, certainly 20 years ago, you definitely saw removed move towards smaller and shorter rods, uh, which was obviously becoming popular uh, because of what was happening in America. Sage coming in with, yep. their, with their nice, shorter, lighter rods. Uh, and let's be honest, going smaller as well didn't mean that you was casting any any less uh, distance. Yeah. Uh, and it started to move a little bit longer again. Uh, certainly in the last few years, I've started to see a trend towards longer rods. Certainly some of the Norwegians on their big Scandinavian rivers are getting back into 16-foot rods. Mm. And, uh, it's, 
And it's not so much for the uh, casting ability of having a longer rod. It's, to my mind, it's, it's the mending capability and the more control that you have over your fly during the swing. Right. When I'm in uh, Alaska fishing for kings, most of the Americans were fishing with 12 and perhaps 13 foot rods. A few were fishing 13 foot rods, but it was more 12s. And I always much preferred using a 14 foot rod there for the simple reason it just gave me a bit more control on on, uh, my swinging capability. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. No, I, I love where we're going with this because, uh, you know, I want to dig into the history kind of, you know, with the spay, you know, kind of Atlantic salmon steelhead. But also you mentioned kings, right, which is huge because that's one of those bucket list trips for a lot of people, right, especially if they're thinking of Alaska. Let, let's dig into that a little bit on, on the uh, the kings. So you've been yeah. up there, like you go to Alaska West, right? You've been up there a few times? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've been going for about 15 years Uh it's a bit of a long story, but my, my dad died at an early age. My dad was only uh, 57 when he died. And uh, that that particular year, I always used to go skiing with my mom. And dad used to look after the family business while we was away. And my, my girlfriend, my partner sort of suggested, why don't you take your mom away for Christmas? It'll be your first Christmas on her own. So I ended up going to Whistler. And uh, being a fisherman, made a beeline for the nearest fishing tackle store, which was uh, Brian Niska at Whistler oh, Fly Fishing. Yeah. So uh, we hit it off. Uh, we got on really well. I had a day's fishing in Whistler uh, over Christmas. And I asked him if he knew of any fishing, and he mentioned about Alaska West. So uh, that's the first trip that I did was with Brian Niska. Awesome. And uh, it, it it was just amazing, uh, an amazing place. Right on. Yeah, I all, uh, we had Brian on in episode uh, 370. We'll put a link in the show notes to that one. That was a really cool episode because he dug into Steelhead. And currently, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, you know, a, a downswing, right, in the populations around the the, wet, the Pacific Rim for Steelhead. But he yeah. had a real positive outlook on it, actually, on where we're at and where we're yeah. going. You know what I mean? So I think we're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're seeing some of that. But um Cool. I think certainly. I mean, Brian's a great guy. I've got a lot of time for Brian, but he he is right. It's sort of self fulfilling with fisheries. If if you do think that there's no fish there, one thing is you have to talk yourself into going fishing anyway. uh, As opposed to like making ten trips to the river, you might only make one or two when you think conditions are right. Right, and then. You also go with a bit of a mindset as well where you're thinking, oh, I hope I catch a fish as opposed to I'm going to catch a fish. Yeah. And there is a big difference. There is a difference Yeah. to your yeah. results in just in that mindset. So I think it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, really, if you do get down on a river and runs. Don't get me wrong. There are problems. We all know there's problems. But uh, equally, just saying there's a problem and not going fishing isn't going to put it right. Right, right, right. And that is a great point. I think that, yeah, it's just like the uh, having confidence, right? Steelhead or any of these species that are tough to catch, you got to come in with some confidence feeling like, and that's why if you've hooked a few in a spot, you're like, okay, I know this water pretty well. 
which is good. Yeah. Um, so talk about kings. I want to dig in this a little bit because, you know, I think there's some people going up. We might be going up this next year to fish for kings. Take us into like that. What, what sort of, let's just start with the gear real quick. Like what are you using for kings? If you're, and, and is there a variation between, you know, hitting smaller kings or are you always using the same stuff? I like to use the same stuff. Uh, it's probably geared up for larger fish, uh, although some parts of it might uh, might seem a bit on the weak side. But I like to use a 14-foot rod for the reasons that I've said. I can control my swing a bit better. Uh, certainly. Yeah. And is that like an 8-weight? Uh, no, it's a 9-weight. Nine 9-weight. Nine it's a 9-weight. Uh, I generally tend to overweight my rods a little bit for the simple reason it takes a bit less effort to cast the rod if I'm overloading it a bit. And it's also easier to handle the uh, T14 tips uh, and yep. your big flies. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, that's what I tend to do because I know it slows me down a little bit. It's also easier in uh, – I, I do book the trend a little bit in as far as I like fastish well stiffer rods as well because when it's windy in alaska and it will be you will have days where it's mm. windy uh it's a bit easier to control and cast those rods in the wind yeah some of the softer rods deliberately built for skagit i i have noticed that the wind can actually start to bend them which doesn't sound that much but halfway through a cast there's always a part of the sweep where the wind is actually moving as fast as the rod is and you just lose total load of your rod and that's when you quicken up mm. and that's the last thing you want to do when you spay casting yeah. is to speed up so uh so i like a stiffish rod skagit lines i, I actually like uh floating skagit lines uh for the reason that we fish the tidal sections quite a lot and there's definite uh there's a definite theme that i find on the connect top river where king salmon there actually want to chase a fly if you've got a very slow moving fly you'll get less takes than if you you're fishing a faster moving fly so i like to fish my flies fairly quick uh i like to be able to lead my fly to the bank which is why i like the, the longer rod uh we never use really heavy tips there because the fish are that aggressive uh and it's really good fun because they really do nail the flight there's there's not much plucking or plucking it's usually bang and you're off to the uh races with them oh it is yeah so when you compare the take to a steelhead what how does that compare it it does it does depend on on the water that you're actually fishing but i, I mean I know years ago, fishing with Brian, we always used to say that there was a theory that uh, king salmon wouldn't take a strip fly. Well, that that's a total fallacy. They they like strip flies. Mm. You move that fly, they will strip it. And we've even used mo tips, uh, certainly on an incoming tide, because the river slows down a bit on an incoming tide, which is part of the reason I like that floating head because you can still get a bit of a swing and, and start to move your fly. Uh, we was tying uh, booby flies, yep. which are just basically foam foam tubes, and we were stripping, and you could actually see fish break out the pod of moving fish and chase your fly down. 
and you'd never get one fish. You'd get three or four fish charged at your fly, and we're talking like 20, 30, 40-pound kings chasing your fly. And you, we couldn't quite get them to the surface, but you get the big boil as they took took the fly. But it was probably about a foot down deep. And, uh, I mean, then the fun was actually hooking into the fish and having loads of running nylon running line round at your feet. And right. it was under that much tension. It was like tarpon fishing. You'd, you'd end up with line round your ears and head. Oh, and, man. All sorts of fun. But, I mean, you know, it, it would only fish like that for about an hour of the mm. tide. But, I mean, it was really good fun. But, yeah, those those fish want to chase a fly down. Yeah, they do. They do. Similar to I always think of coho are the ones that really up there chase all the way to your feet. So it's kind of not quite yes. that level, but they still are They still are moving for it. Yes. Yeah, that, they'll move some distance. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the Connect Talk is interesting because that is a, a well-known um, – well, it's a well-known river, but is there like what? Describe that a little bit. Take us to the Connect Talk. Is there are there lodges on that river? Is that is Alaska West out there, or who's out there? Yeah, Alaska, Alaska West's on there, which which is where where we've gone for years. As I said, I, I think I've been going for about fifteen years. Uh, there's the Duncans up the top, uh, who they mainly concentrate on the trout fishing there, but. In all fairness, the trout fishing there is probably some of the best in the world. It, it for big really for is rainbows. A yeah, and mouse fishing. It's. I think the biggest rainbow that I've had off there was about twelve or fourteen pound. Wow. Uh, as it happens, it took on a swung kingfly, but oh, uh, nice. Yeah, but you 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 definitely be able to sight fish uh up in the braids with mouse patterns which is just unbelievable fishing uh and you know generally that the average size is probably a couple of pounds but every now and again you'll see one up there that's four pound plus uh really exciting fishing with, with a little uh, single hander uh and there's another lodge low down as well uh, now that fishes ma- mainly swinging for kings on there. But it's it's not a big river. It's not a massive river. It's it's got a good push and flow to it all the way through. Uh, m- most of it, in fact, I mean, I spend all my time in uh, walking, wading on gravel. It's easy wading, very mm-hmm. easy wading. Uh, so it's good fly water. Uh, every now and again, if you feel like it, they might fish you out of a boat on a big tide just to see if you can oh, yeah. get pods of fish coming through. But, you know, that's your choice if if you want to do that. But gotcha. uh, generally, that's not how how we fish it. It's 99% of the time it's from the bank. It's from the bank. So you're literally the same thing, like steelhead fishing, go up there, you look at a place that looks like a good run, and then you're kind of swinging basically downstream and across to these guys? You've got it, yeah. 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 What And is it that hard if you go up there, you're, you know, you're walking up the bank and, and you don't know where the salmon are to find a good run where they're holding? Are they pretty much in all the runs there? That They'll be in all the runs. In- yeah, they're in the deep runs. Yeah, you, you probably uh, most of the time we're fishing for running fish anyway. So even above camp, which is you know we're, we're probably talking ten miles upstream from the tide, you can still catch fish that have got long-tailed sea lice on them off that morning's tide. So I mean, there's there's lots of water to fish, and and you're fishing for those uh, moving fish really, those really aggressive things. 
I, I actually really enjoy going downstream to the tidal water for a couple of reasons. A, the fish are more condensed. So instead of, instead of, if you was upstream, you'd probably catch a fish every half half an hour as as the line of fish had gone through. But when that first come through on that tide, that the pods of fish are that condensed that literally you could have a fish every cast for an hour hmm. uh, as that pod's going through. And then obviously as it starts to slow down, then you can start chasing upstream if, if you want to. But there's something for me about fishing down there and thinking that the first thing that these fish have seen is your fly. It's yeah. That's just a bit of a an exciting thing. And, you know, the way some of the fish do attack your fly, it is the first thing that they've seen. Yeah, right, right, right. And give us a give us a fly name. I know you've tied some plenty of flies. Do you have one that would be good for kings that we could look at online out there? Well, there's there's an intruder tube fly that I do, which uh, is chartreuse and blue. Uh, I've found that that color works really well for me. Uh in sunny conditions and dull conditions particularly. Uh, and if people sort of look at it and think, look, Christ, that's, that's a big fly. Uh, part of the reason I, I we were tying flies that big really was, first of all, the takes that you get were the really aggressive smash takes that you got. But the other thing that we was trying to do was keep away from the chum salmon because mm. you could – you could spend half your day up there playing chum salmon if right. uh, if if you wanted to. So uh, using bigger flies and and not swinging right into the slower uh, right. stuff at the side did keep gotcha. you away from those chum. So stay in the heavy. So basically, and that's where the T14 comes in because you're fishing a little bit of the heavier, deeper, deeper yeah. runs, and you're getting down. Yeah, you, you've got it. And and the runs there come in indefinite bands, both sides of the river. On the inside, you'll have sockeye that yep. are probably two or three feet deep. Uh, and there's lots of dollies in with the sockeyes. And on the outside of the dolly, you'd have chum. And on the outside of the chum, you'd, you'd have the uh, king salmon running through. Right, so you got everything. And, and you're talking, I, I mean, for kings, you're looking at – kind of early July, right, is the best. Eventually, end of July, things start petering out. Is that how that looks? On the Connect Talk, it's it's middle of June uh, is the start of the run, and then it does start to peter out uh, around the middle to end of July. Yeah, yeah, middle end of July. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah. you got that big yeah. blast of Schnook coming in, and, and that's awesome. And then the T14, so you is that pretty much if you had to grab a tip – for your gadget, the T14, like T11, is that kind of what you're using the whole time? Uh, T14 is would be my go-to. Uh, once again, it's probably because of the water that I sort of gravitate to. Uh, uh, there, there was, there's definitely some guys that like to use some uh, fists or some yeah. intermediate gadget yeah. heads with heavier tips and heavier flies to really hit the buckets, mm. which they tend to do better uh in low water years oh gotcha so they'll just use the fist without adding a bit a monster heavy tip yeah yeah and it's just to slow it down so that that can hang those flies down in those buckets for a bit longer uh, oh, that's cool 
Cool. Yeah, so so uh, once again, although it might sound as if when it's a hot, when I say hot, a, a busy day with fish, it might get a bit boring because you'll catch fish after fish. It, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's not because you can experiment and oh, try right. different things. And, yeah. and, you know, if for a thinking fisherman, it's, it's a great place to be because you do see – uh, you, you do see the results of trying to fish in a different way. Yeah, I think that is a great tip. Yeah, you, you'll soon pick up whether things are working or not. It's as opposed to fishing somewhere where there's perhaps not so many fish and you're scratching your head thinking, well, is it working or is it just that there's no fish? <laughs> no fish. Yeah, 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 I got you. No, I love that. That is a great reminder that, yeah, I mean, these fish can be easy to catch. Sounds like Chinook, you can get into a pod and it's like one after the other, but then you could right throw on a booby and see how that works and test and try some stuff that's fun yeah 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 exactly i mean i've even skated uh dry flies oh, cool. uh, on the dry line there for for shinnok on on big pushes and i've never actually hooked one but you've seen bow waves behind the fly i've had boils at the fly uh they're definitely interested in it. I'm, I'm sure if you persevered with it for days on end, you'd probably get one. Yeah. But I, I mean, you, you, you'd be losing out on catching a few fish. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you probably, you probably know some of the guys. We've had a couple of interviews where, you know, we've a couple of these steelheaders are like dry line, you know, dry fly on the surface only, even during the winter time. You know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. it's just this, in, it, that, which is what's cool about fly fishing. You know what I mean? You take it to that level and you get bored. Well, try something that's harder. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.Fish, who was founded with the idea of finding ethical solutions to fly tying products and services. They've done just that by creating jobs for marginalized people, both in the U.S. and abroad. They've got uh, everything covered. We've had a recent episode on with uh, John Grosta, who talked about uh, some of the great products they have with the, the fishing he does in Florida uh, with the Fairflies brushes. They've got the 5D brushes and their uh, fly fur, which is pretty amazing. Tons of people are loving this stuff for its durability and the speed that allows you to tie flies. John talked about that on the podcast uh, and he said that just uh, basically it's going to add on at least 15 to 20 minutes to uh, each fly you tie if you're not using these brushes. Zag also has uh, Wasatch custom angling tools in their satchel with over 50 uh, custom heirloom tools that go along with your materials. So they are a true do-it-yourself company and you got to check out zag.fish right now. If you want to, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash zag and you can get 20% off your first order by clicking through that link. And uh, let them know you heard uh, of them through this podcast, and you'll get that 20% discount right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash Zag, Z-A-G. Okay, back to the show. Let's take it back to the back to more of the, you know, I want to think Atlantic Salmon, you know, steelhead and that comparison. So taking us back, we were talking about the long, long rods, and it sounds like there's a transition back. And I think in the U.S. there's a transition a little bit to some of the upper level guys back to the longer rods or at least getting into a more. Um, so what does that look like now for you? So during your year, just take us there. Are you kind of splitting your time like half, you know, Atlantic salmon, half steelhead, or what do you do out there? Well, certainly uh, when I first went over steelheading, 
I had the steelhead bug in a really bad way. Uh, it was going to be a one-off trip. Uh, once again, I went with Niska. I, I, I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, I was lucky that Brian introduced me to some really good guys. So they give me little snippets on, on what I could be doing to do it on, on a cheaper uh, holiday plan, which sort mm-hmm. of helped because I'm, I'm not made of money. So, no. uh, so that first year is actually why I started selling flies. Uh, as soon as I had a few thousand bucks, uh, I'd be on a cheap flight over to uh, – BC and I was still heading and some of the guys were good enough to put me up on the sofas and stuff like that mm-hmm. just so that I could go out and, and uh, walk the rivers and, and fish rivers. So I think that first year I went four times to British <laughs> Columbia steelheading. Uh, so I mixed my time for a few years. I, I, I didn't go salmon fishing in Scotland, but now I, I do uh, last year I, I did about two and a half months worth of salmon fishing in the uk oh, wow. yeah. uh i managed to do two weeks in alaska and i did 10 days in bc i think yeah still letting gotcha. so uh yeah I, I had a really good mix last year and that might sound once again as if i made the money but the a lot of the atlantic salmon fishing that i had uh was rolled over from the covid years so i basically had three years worth of fishing in one year which was great. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. And that is kind of the challenge, right, with the salmon fishing, whether it's Scotland or anywhere in that region, is that it's uh, it costs money, right? This is not a – it's kind of a pay-to-play. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's expensive. I think with the way fuel's going as well, just to drive up to Scotland is it takes quite a bit of money now compared to what it used to. But just, just so that uh, you, you guys know over in the States, we have private water in, in Scotland. So what you have to do is basically buy, uh, buy the right to fish a certain beat, which is allocated to you. So that's your beat you'll know how many people are fishing there depending on the beat. Some beats might have 12 people. If it's a big beat, some of the smaller beats will have two. Uh, So that makes it a bit more expensive. The other thing that it does is because you have to pre-plan and book your fishing in advance, you might not actually have very good conditions. Oh, right. So it's just a toss of a coin, yeah. But, I mean, you're booking it a year in advance, so you, you don't know whether you're going to have water or dry conditions or whatever. So, yep. uh, But once again, for uh, thinking angler, just if you haven't got good conditions doesn't mean you won't catch. You just have to change your tactics. And yep. I know this, uh, it was August, I, I, I got invited to a Highland River in Scotland and, uh, the water had gone. It was on its bare bones, and I was just fishing a little six-weight single-hander with uh, little hitch tubes. And when I say little, probably a quarter of an inch long hitch tubes and size 12 single hooks. And uh, we're still moving a lot of fish and hooking a lot of fish. I, I lost most of them because of the size of the fly, but uh, it was still good fun. Right, right, right. That, no, that's awesome. And and tell us, so if somebody was over, you know, somewhere around the world, didn't really know and wanted to go to Scotland and really do, yeah. do the Atlantic salmon thing, is there a, um, you know, like a law, you know, what would you recommend for somebody? How could they get in on this if they're kind of outside and, you know what I mean, they want to fish? If you was outside and you wanted, 
wanted to go and fish. The one thing I'd say is we have four big rivers, which are classed as the four big rivers in, in Scotland. And they're classed as the big rivers because they're that big. Generally, you don't need uh, a spate or a bumping water to, to bring fish in, which are the River Spay, the River Dee, the River Tay and the River Tweed. Uh, those are the four main ones. Now, years ago, to get on those rivers would be really, really difficult. But because catches have changed and runs have changed, and they have become uh, more spatey now as well, you do need a bump of water to encourage a run of fish, really. But what that's done is actually opened up some of the beats that you couldn't get on before. So uh, there's a website called FishPal. Oh, yeah. Um, what you can do is call on there and see what's available on any given river in Scotland. If the beats are allocated to Fishpal and they've got, they've got uh, slots there, you can look on there and book on there. So the one thing I would say to uh, you guys, if you do fancy coming over, is hedge your bets a little bit. Years ago, what you would have had to have done was take a beat for the week to fish on a beat. So what you can do now is get your day day bookings or two day bookings on some of these beats. What you could do is fish three different rivers in a week and hedge your bets. And the one good thing about that is if you're fishing one stretch of river for a week and you know that you haven't got much chance, it can be soul destroying. But if you're fishing different rivers and different beats throughout your week, you can still enjoy it because you seen somewhere different you're yeah. fishing a different stretch and i don't know about you but even if you're catching quite a lot of fish sometimes you wouldn't want to fish it all day every no. day you'd want to go somewhere else so uh so you know it, it it's available now that you can uh if you if you stop somewhere in between the river spay and the river d you could actually do three days on the spay three days on the d and you you know you've seen the best of both worlds there Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. So fishpal.com is a great resource. I'll put a link in the show notes. It looks yes. like, yeah, they have like yesterday's catches. They got the river levels, all that stuff. Yeah. There's updates. Yeah. There's updates on there. There's uh, the, the Highland rivers as well, which are very spatey type rivers. Uh, yeah. And spatey by that means just like you're getting a big flush, like a big uh, high water yeah. coming in. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and as soon as that that bump of water comes, you you can get numbers of fish. So I, I mean, some of my best catches over the last few years have been on the Highland rivers when you've actually hit them right. Uh, when it's not right, I won't say that you you won't catch fish. But like I said, if you adopt adapt different techniques and go into uh, go into trout fishing mode, uh, you will pick up salmon by fishing smaller flies and being tricky about it, much like you do with steelhead. Uh, you know, but finessing it a bit when the water's low, you will reap benefits. So even the Highland rivers are worth having a look at as well. And uh, some of those rivers aren't quite so expensive to fish either because of that lottery on whether conditions are going to be good or not. Oh, I see. Gotcha. So this is cool. So basically it's allowing people, even kind of the normal people that don't have, you know, uh, 
gazillions of dollars to go fish. I mean, you could literally get out there and get on fish pal and probably set something up. If you were yeah, even traveling yeah. with the family doing a week or a couple of weeks over there, you could probably find a spot to fish. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it, to be honest with fish pal now as well, I, it, it would be a great, uh, family holiday to go to Scotland. Cause there's lots to see castles, lovely beaches, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, there's lots to all the distilleries, the food's really good up there. So there's lots of things to see. And if you was a selfish fisherman and fancied having a day or two away to go, you, yeah. you can pick up, you can pick up, you know, uh, decent fishing for not a lot of money. And if nothing else, you'll be fishing in a nice part of the world and you, you'll enjoy it just for that. Yeah, exactly. And, and what's the time, just so we know, timing wise, when would be a good time to hit salmon? Uh, well, here's a good one. How our salmon fishing? Some rivers begin in January, hmm. believe it or not, uh, which is classed as jokingly as spring fishing, but it's actually winter. Uh, the majority start March, April, March, March, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then some of the rivers finish in September, but some of them, like the Tweed, can even go into November. Oh wow! Yeah, so you get a whole big year. Yeah, I, I mean, this year, like I said, I've done a lot of fishing. I, I actually caught fish every month of the year from February. I started fishing in February, and I had three fed fish or four fed fish. Oh, wow. uh, and I've caught fish every month of the year. I actually stopped in September because I thought that the conditions of the fish in the UK last year – uh, that started to colour up and they'd been through quite a big, uh, a long period of no rain, which stressed them out a bit. Yeah. So I actually stopped fishing, but uh, I caught a fish every single month of the year, uh, including September, and I, I didn't bother fishing in October. Uh, but the majority of the catches are at the back end, which would have been October time. But you will be catching stale fish. Yeah, right. That's the whole thing. So earlier it could be colder, but March would be good because you got fresh fish in and maybe the weather's yes. starting to get a little better. You've got it. Yeah. Well, all, all, all these rivers, all these rivers have slightly different run timing. So just, just right. do your homework. And, and yep. if, if you fancy picking a river, have a look at when the runs are. Uh, a lot of the rivers, uh, this is very general. A lot of the rivers, the main runs appear to be now, Spring rivers, you'd say April and May, and then uh, summer runs and, and grills would be July, August. Yeah, July, August. Okay, perfect. And no, this is good. We're getting a little, a little perspective on this now with Atlantic salmon. And for you, um, I mean, we've talked a little bit about Atlantic salmon over the years, but um, you know, for you, what you know, let's just take say you could fish anywhere. You got, you know, you don't have to pay to play or whatever. You could just fish for Atlantic salmon or steelhead. You know, you have to choose one. Mm -hmm. Which one? Which one are you choosing? Oh, I'd be really greedy and want both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that a tough? Is that a tough one? It, it is a tough one uh, because they're very similar. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, like BC, those are summer steelhead too. So they're very. Are they similar? Yeah. Are they pretty similar? Right? I mean, they are very similar. If uh, the, the hard bit to both both those species of fish is isn't actually the fishing bit. The hard bit is having fish where you're fishing. That's that's the hard bit. Yeah. Uh, I think better anglers make most of their opportunities. And if there's some stealth fish that have seen a few flies, the better anglers. Have got usually got an ace or two up the sleeve that yep. they can uh, coax them in. 
Yeah, they've got slightly different techniques that perhaps the fish haven't seen before, which gets them. Yeah, uh, gets gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. Is the Skeena system, which is a big river, I'm not sure what the CFS is, but compare that to, say, one of the bigger, like the Spey or the D. Are, are there any similarities? Uh, no, 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 there's not. The, no. the uh, biggest the biggest river that the UK's probably got is the River Tay, uh, which is in Perthshire. Uh, and I would say that you could probably fit the River Tay three times into the Skeena. Oh, gotcha. So it's more like the bulk, it'd be like the Bulkley or one of the Tribs. Yes, yeah. Which are good rivers, which are definitely good rivers. They're not just gigantic yeah. Skeena. Okay. Yeah. So, and then back to that question. So you, so you can't answer it. So if you had to, so let's just say it's equal, equal number of hundred fish in a run. They're both Atlantic Savage steelhead. What, which one do you choose? I think it, it, it my choice would probably be on which side of the river, uh, the bed I've gone out of on that morning. But I, there is something about steelhead. I've, yeah. I've got to be honest. That, yeah. that there is something about steelhead that for me, even just saying the name makes me smile. It excites yeah. me. Right. <laughs> It is interesting because for me, you know, and again, it's like we're changing the things. I'm on the other side over here and I haven't done any Atlantic salmon fishing, right? So that's on my bucket list. But, you know, for me, so that's exciting. I'm like, I would, I've caught lots of steelhead and I still love steelhead. I mean, I'd go out, you know, today and do it, but, um, but I still have that Atlantic salmon. Like it's new. I'd love to try it just to see because they are very, right? They're, they're, they're moving for things. They're taking stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's cool, but okay. Why? Well, yeah, this is it's not one, not an easy one to nail you down on, but um, but I think <laughs> we, we all love it, and uh, and obviously it's whatever's in front of you. You know, like you said, carp. I mean, carp has become right an amazing fishery for lots of people around the country. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll probably board. I was bored up catching gudgeon in a canal at, at the back of my house, float fishing with maggots for gudgeon. So. And I mean, for a certain amount of time, that was absolutely fantastic. And I, I won't say that I'd, I'd plan my life around going uh, carp fishing or, or after gudging the way that I used to as a kid. And I obviously plan my life around my salmon fishing a bit now and, and steelheading. But uh, I still enjoy the odd day of going out with, with a float and, and catching coarse fish. It's mm -hmm. it's really good fun takes you back to being a kid again which i think sometimes with a lot of anglers that's part of the fun you, you go out you've got no worries in the world the probably the hardest decision you've got to make all day is what fly shall i put on it's it's just good fun takes you back to being a kid that's right that's right and no, it is. It is great. I think just getting on the water is a huge part of it. Uh, so where are you now? So you're located. Uh, where's your location? I'm in the uh, Midlands of England, uh, very close to a city called Birmingham. So uh, I'm probably as far away from any good fly water than, than you could be yeah, in you are. England. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. am. But, but Everywhere I can get to, uh, I can get to the test down in Hampshire. I can fish all the Welsh uh, fast-flowing rivers. I can fish there within a couple of hours. I can get to North Wales. I can get to North England in two and a half hours. So I can get everywhere within a day, and I do. I, I do an awful lot of trout and grayling fishing. Uh, oh, yeah. And it, they're, they're all because our countryside is so varied. So uh, I think it makes you a slightly better angler fishing different places. 
Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're not just doing the spay. You're mixing it up throughout the year, doing some single hand stuff. And yeah, I'll, I'll mix it up. Yeah, yeah, I'll mix it up. Perfect. Yeah. Well, t- talk about your flies. So you, I know, have a lot of flies. You're tying out there. You've tied a lot over the years. So talk about, so give us a little rundown of flies. So if we we're going to either go for steelhead, well, let's talk about that. Steelhead versus Atlantic salmon. Are you pretty much, uh, are you mixing, are you using the same flies for both species? Uh, no, I do mix it up. Uh, I'm probably most associated steelhead wise for a, a fly I did called a pot-bellied pig, which when I first started steelheading, I sort of asked, uh, once again, I'll, I'll go back to that confidence thing and feeling confident in what you're doing. I, I'd caught a load of salmon, uh, Atlantic salmon using a fly called the pot-bellied pig. So all I did was I asked uh, Niska what sort of colours do I need to tie my flies in, and he t- gave me a list of colours. Uh, so I came up with a black and blue and black and purple uh, pot-bellied pig tube pattern. And at the time, 15 years ago, not many people was using tubes over on the Pacific side at all. Uh, and I just thought that they uh, – I like tubes because being a destination angler, instead of having a box of small flies, box of medium flies, box of big flies, depending on what the water's doing, I like tubes because I can just tie them one size and just stack them if the water's high and put two or three tubes on. So it saves me a load of vassal with flies. But, uh, yeah, so I'll just copied this pot-bellied pig and did them in black and blue and, and stuck a hot cone on uh because obviously i noticed that steelhead seem to like uh egg sucking leeches and similar flies so uh and i think that first day that i used that i hooked seven steelhead i think oh wow didn't land many but i hooked seven but uh yeah so uh because of having confidence in those flies i think people would probably be a bit disappointed if they was to see my fly box because there's not that much choice really yeah so you got and describe that that pot belly how how is that describe it from the from the back from the tail and, and how you tie it from the tail up I, well it's it's a plastic tube i'll put a tag of mirage tinsel on the tag so that uh there's a bit of glint uh I put a, a black cock hackle, large black cock hackle, as a back station. Uh, put a tail on of black bucktail with blue crystal flash, and then put some lung feelers on of uh, pot-bellied pig feelers, which they're they're pretty stiff fibers and they kick in a current. Gotcha. So this is a pot belly. This is literally pig, uh, like um, hair. That's it. Yeah. Kind of like almost like a horse hair or something like that. You've got it, yeah. And it's it's pretty stiff. Uh, so they look like feelers at the back, and then uh, it's just uh, black uh, steely dub, sorry, blue steely dub, dubbing body, very short, ribbed with silver. And then I'll put blue or purple cock hackle on the front with a mix of red, blue purple mirage flashaboo so that flash really pulsates in the softer water so although it looks a fairly stiff fly that flash is what gives it the illusion of pulsating in soft water uh jungle cock uh eyes and uh pink or hot orange cone uh 
to look like a egg sucking leech or whatever. And I'd say probably ninety percent of the steelhead that I've caught have been caught on that pattern. Gotcha. There you go. So we got it. And I'm and you uh, obviously you can tie that in different colors. What what's your yeah? Is that your favorite? The one you describe is that kind of your favorite one for steelhead? That color. Yeah, blue and black, purple and black. I, I do a lot of pink as well. I, I know a lot of rivers uh, are generally, like the Dean, are very uh, influenced by pink, so so pink works well. Actually, the Skeener in, in uh, spring, fishing for winter steelhead, uh, that pot-bellied pig in, in pink works really well as well. And it's not it's not a heavy fly and it's certainly not a big fly either. And I think that's part of the reason that uh, it works so well. It's easy for people to turn over when they cast. So they're fishing straight away. They're not waiting for tension to arrive on, on the line so much. Uh, it's it, And if there's taking fish, it does tend to find taking fish. It, there's no mm. two ways about it. I've, mm-hmm. I've followed some guys down fishing intruders who've probably had one or two bumps, and then I'll go through with that pot belly pig behind them. And I'm fishing no better than them. Uh, it's just that it's a smaller fly. And uh, gotcha. I've, I've caught two or three fish behind them. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, I think the way that we set up as swing fishermen, which is cast three steps down, cast three steps down, I think sometimes the fish can see the fly too well. And unless they're super aggressive and move 15 feet to slam your fly, by the time you actually get close to the to the fish, they've seen the fly that many times that they switch off. They know what the fly's going to do, which is just yep. go on the dangle and then be pulled away from them. So they've lost that chase uh whereas if you do move down quicker sometimes or show them a smaller fly so that they don't see it till it's really close to them that's right. when you start to get more takes uh, that's just my yeah my thoughts i'm not saying that is definitely what happens but no and what and by smaller fly what would that be for that tube but what would a small tube be for like a hook size yeah, the overall tube with the cone, uh, the way that I like to tie them is probably just under an inch. Under an inch, yeah. So you'd be like a yeah. So the uh, the overall fly with with the length of the uh, feelers is probably uh, two inch at best. Yeah, right for the whole with the whole thing. So it's, yeah. yeah, you're a, so you're an inch. So you're tying almost like a comparison on a fly would be almost like a little size six or an eight or something like that. Maybe, yes, versus yes, say a, yes. versus a two. Yes, yeah, right. So you're, yeah, that makes sense. So you're going small, and then like in so describe that when you put the, your like setup for steelhead. So when you're using these tubes for somebody that hasn't used tubes before, maybe they they've used a lot of traditional stuff. How does that okay. work? Describe the setup. Well, the, the reason I, I like tubes more so than shank flies, I, when I first went over, obviously everybody got shank flies. So I was I was looking at these shank flies, and uh, I'll be honest, a few fish were hooked outside the mouth, uh, especially when using Dacron as the link. Uh, so the tube, what happens with the tube is you'll thread your line through the actual tube, You've tied your fly on on the tube, which could be plastic or aluminium or metal. Uh, you thread your line through that tube, and then you tie your hook on. Uh, and I like to use straight eye hooks. 
uh, for steelhead, and that straight eye actually sits in the behind of your tube, uh, which basically means that, once again, you can tie a biggish profile fly with a small hook so it doesn't damage the fish. And as soon as you hook into a fish under tension, that tube rides up your uh, nylon leader out of the way of the fish's mouth so it doesn't uh, cause any leverage when you're playing the fish. All you're actually doing is you've got a small hook in the fish's mouth uh, that's not doing as much damage as it might do. Even with the wire links that I saw used on some of the fish, uh, you could actually see where it had cut fish's teeth away. Oh, wow. Uh, while you was playing fish. So I sort of got off those pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Right, right. So that, uh, and I've got, uh, in all fairness as well, I've got confidence in tube flies anyway, because yeah. yeah. that's traditionally what we use over here. But it's quite nice to see now uh, the amount of uh, anglers who are using tubes, because as I say, I do think that they're. Uh, the way that you can tie them and the way that you can use them, they're a far more flexible way of tying than using shanks. Yeah, using shanks. And then, and one of them is just, you know, whether you tie it on the type of tube, right? Because they kind of, right, if it's plastic, it might float a little more than, say, a metal. How do you, how do you uh, have that? What's your box look like so you make sure, you know, you're, are you adjusting that to get the fly down a little more? Or are you just using your lines, really, to focus on that? Well, most of the... Most of the fishing where I would use tube flies, I'm using sink tips anyway. So what I like to do is use lighter tubes, so plastic or aluminium tubes, uh, and I rely on my tip to actually get my fly down for me, not the weight of the fly. And the reason I do that is if you can imagine, your tip will drag that fly down to the depth that you want to be, and then you can start to lead your fly out. But any little uh, hydro or movement of current will actually influence that fly because it's light. Uh, when you use uh, heavy flies, which sometimes you do need to use in very fast flows, and etc., what I've ten tended to find with very heavy flies is as soon as it comes out that fast water and into the softer stuff that fish will actually be sitting in, it's that heavy, you lose movement drop, to the fly right, yeah, right. and it drops. So that's why I like to prefer to use lighter flies and rely on my tips to get me down as opposed to the other way around. That's awesome. No, I love that take on it because that is a... Uh... So it's kind of like, yeah, your thing is sitting up there. It's uh, it's almost like neutrally buoyant. It's just it's getting more action, and then yeah. your, and your sink line basically your sink's getting you down in the zone, and then yeah. your your tube. And then the other cool thing, like you said, is that you could literally go from a tiny little speck or throw on a few tubes, and now you got a big a profile pattern. Bigger right? profile, exactly. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, easy. Easy. How do you, what, what's the hook you use? Typically, you said the flat. And so why, what's the, why do you use a, because a lot of people I know use, especially with shanks and stuff like that, or any, like the bait, or what's it called? Hooks. Yeah, the up eye. Why, yeah. why, why the straight? The reason being that I use straight eye for steelhead is I don't want the hook to be too far back. I, I don't really get an issue with steelhead. Uh, I, I think in all the years I've steelheaded, 
I've caught one fish deeply on a tube fly. I've caught fish with stingers, and as once again, particularly dacra, pretty deep. Uh, so that's why I've moved away from that. Now, funnily enough, when I'm Chinook fishing, what I do there is I'll thread my line through the tube uh, and I'll, uh, using a surgeon's knot, I'll create a loop at the back of uh, the tube fly so the knot will sit inside the tube, leaving a loop so that I can use an up eye hook. Uh, and once again, I, I use owner up eye hooks, uh, size two out or one out for Chinook. And then I'll thread it through and set that up like a stinger so that the hook's a bit further back with Chinook. Uh, once again, I think I've only ever hooked one fish deeply by doing that. But when I was using straight eye hooks, don't ask me why, uh, I, I definitely used to get lots of bumps without hooking onto fish, whereas when the hook's further back with Chinook, I tend to get better hookup rates than the other way around. Today's episode is sponsored by Country Financial. The fires in the Northwest and throughout the West in, in the last few years have been devastating for thousands of people. Uh, those folks, some folks have lost their homes, their belongings, uh, and their sense of safety has all been challenged. This is why insurance and protecting your assets are so critical. Dalton at Country Financial is here, and he was on the front lines during the fires, handing out checks to Country Financial community members, providing drinks, food, and more. And each time Dalton meets up with a client, he does an extensive review of their current assets and coverage. This is his opportunity to really decide and let you know what you need uh, to make educated decisions for your insurance needs. This is a super critical piece, and Dalton Roy... Roy loves it. He loves getting out in the rural community, connecting with people, loves the outdoors, fishing, hunting, everything that goes with it. And so I'm excited to be sharing uh, Country Financial and Dalton with you. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash country right now to get started. That's C-O-U-N-T-R-Y. Check out Dalton and support this podcast in a great local company right now. Well, and let's go back to the tradition. That was a good, you know, the tubes. I, I think that that is a definitely a way more popular and it makes sense. It's not um, maybe tying them, right? Is, is give, give us, before we jump back into some history real quick, uh, like tying tubes, how, how challenge, like for somebody new to it, what, what sort of tip would you tell somebody if they're starting to tie tubes? Well, it it might it might seem difficult to tie on tubes if you've never tied on tubes before, but it it's very easy. It's very simple, and the, the one thing I would advise people to do when they start to tie tubes is, if you was to start fly tying, Dave, I'm sure that you wouldn't jump straight into tying an, in, an intruder because no. it's a difficult fly. Yeah. And it seems to me that most people that struggle with tube flies, the first thing that they try and do is tie a complicated fly straight off the bat. So choose a simple fly, something like a hobo spay, something like that, that that's really fishable, catches a lot of fish. It's not like it, it's not going to catch your fish. And just, just dip your toe in it gently by tying a few tubes, hobo spay uh, flies. 
they're fishable. You can stack them. If you're not sure on colour, you can have a dark colour and a bright colour on top of each other. Uh, it's a really good way of filling a fly box up quickly and, you know, they're going to take you five or ten minutes. And once you're confident on what you can do with tube flies, then you can start to go into more complicated patterns and temple dogs and Scandi mm. style yep. and all, all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, we make fishing complicated. The fish don't. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that sometimes a fish wouldn't care if it was a bunny strip floated in no. front of its nose or an intruder that took over an hour so you know it's it's horses of courses uh yeah it's always nice to catch a good fish on a beautiful fly that's taking your ranges to tie so yeah. that's why we do it <laughs> that's right but yeah it, it doesn't need to be that complicated yeah it doesn't need to be no that's good i love no. this so well, let's, let's just jump real quick back into the history. I'm not sure. Do you have a good take on the history? I mean, I mean, again, it's it's the spay, right? We had a uh, we've had a number of episodes where we talked about the in the U.S. the evolution of spay, right? Where you had this period yeah. of, you know, in the 70s, 80s, there was some stuff going on, but really late 80s, early 90s, it really started picking up. You know, George Cook and people like that. Do you know yeah. like the history? If you look at kind of uh, the U.K. and in that whole spay, I mean, because that is literally right. That's where it's it began well yeah it, it it started on the river spay i'm sure that there was definitely other rivers where, where they was doing uh waterborne casts to to get the fly out uh a lot of rivers to be honest uh what a lot of people don't realize when they look at the history of uh british salmon rivers Actually, a lot of the gentlemen and lords and ladies that was fishing at the time hadn't used to fish much after March or, uh, sorry, May or June anyway, because mm. they'd start hunting. Oh, right. So so a lot of the rivers would be springtime, so it was cold water, which is why they'd been using those big heavy irons, those singles, to get the fly down. Oh, right. That's where that came from. That's the, you mean like the double hook sort of thing? You've got it, yeah. 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 And uh, so, and a lot of them would be fishing from boats as well. So there wouldn't actually be that much casting done. Oh, wow. No kidding. So fishing from boats. So what, I mean, so would they still be using a, a big spay rod too? Yeah, they would, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So people aren't really doing that over there. Well, not so much now, no. no. Uh, and if, if you actually look at Norway, because obviously all the yeah. English lords would go over to the, the Norwegian rivers after their big fish, some of the Norwegian rivers still fish in that manner, trolling a fly rod around. Gotcha. With big, heavy tube flies. But, uh, you know, same technique, just, just newer tackle. <laughs> right, right. And trolling, literally like in a boat, just trolling their flies. Yeah, they'll, they'll flick it out and then the boat will actually pull it out of the current and then back into the current, making sure that all those lies are covered. Gotcha. So the spay casting, just for people that don't know, was uh, green heart and then they moved on to bamboo uh, rods. They Some of them could even be 18 foot long, believe it or not, with long belly lines of 90 feet, Yeah, something like that. Uh, really long lines. And if you wanted to get that fly down, you would have to either use a very heavy fly or iron. Uh, yep. The hooks were actually called irons because right. they were that heavy. 
Uh, <laughs> nice. And if you think about it, you'd need a big rod to set a hook like that. So it was all a perfectly balanced outfit, in all fairness. Yeah. Uh, and the rods probably sound as if that was heavy, but they'd be using a big, hardy, perfect, heavy, hardy, perfect. So everything would be balanced out. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and then it's moved on to uh, shorter oh, fly lines. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used one of those giant, like, uh, 618, like those old, something like that? I tried to cast a 17-foot uh, rod only about four years ago, something like that, and uh, a really long belly line, yep. and I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I have done it. I did it years ago, but I've, I've just got out of the timing of it. So, no, oh, right. I, I, was, I yep. was totally pathetic with right. it. Right. Yeah. So, so you're – Seemed far – Far too much like hard work to me. No? Exactly. <laughs> so you don't do as much of the long belly stuff versus like the skagit. That even with like land, when, when you're Atlantic salmon, when you're fishing for salmon over there, is are you doing like the long belly stuff? Uh, I, not longer bellies, but certainly not long bellies. Uh, I, I tend to use scandy lines, but fairly longish scandy lines. But you still wouldn't call them uh, a long belly line at all. But th- there's times and places for it which, you know, I'll fish the Balkley a lot. The Balkley would be a great river for using a long belly line, and I have used a long belly line on there. Uh, big casts, you, it can swing right the way across the river, and you can pick fish up from when you first cast it all the way across to your own bank. And like it's it's a few strips in and boom it out again. Uh, you know, the river fishes the fly for you, and that's – that's where the long belly works for you when the river fishes the fly for you. Uh, you I'm sure that you're probably aware that there's not actually that many places like that where the river does the work for you yeah. for all day. That's right. Uh, and that, that's why I like the Scandi lines. It just gives me a bit more flexibility so that I can strip flies or work flies or put big bellies in lines to speed the fly up, etc. Gotcha. Or slow it down. Perfect. Well, let, let's stay on that fly and let's take it out of here. Start to take it out of here with the uh, uh, some flies because I think is it aqua flies you you tie for? It is. Yes, I've uh, I've been with Doug for a number of years now. So uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've still designed for Doug. Yeah, aqua flies. That's awesome. Yeah. So so if somebody wanted to go right now to aqua flies and pick up some patterns. Would you have a list? Maybe you know some flies for steelhead and salmon, or give us a few that we can kind of pick up if we're interested. Certainly, if if you go on his website, all of those flies will catch fish. So uh, confidence-wise, I'm very much of the opinion. Years ago when you used to go fishing with a guide or a a ghillie over in the UK, the ghillie would always say, let's have a look in your fly box. And he would would pull flies out (laughs) and say, right, we'll try this. Nice. I don't know if you've noticed nowadays, I don't do that. I tend to say, what do you want to put on? Because oh, right. it's all about confidence. So yeah. honestly, if you're confident in a fly and you think it looks right, you stick it on. Because if you think it looks right, you'll fish it as if it's right. Yeah. And more than often, you'll get fish. What if it's like some crazy like chartreuse? You're kind of with a person, they pot a, a, a bright chartreuse fly. They're like, this is the one I like. Are you going to, that's going to be just as good. Well, it, it, it really is. I, I know, I mean, chartreuse is not color that we use in the uk and probably four years ago something like that i met the head gilly at one of the top beats on the river spay 
And his top fly was a bright chartreuse thing for the spring. And it was a Pacific fly. It was. And there's no way, if you was to show that 99% of the gillies on the River Spay, they'd have just looked at it and thrown it back in the fly box. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all down to confidence. Yeah, it's confidence. Cool. All right. Well, that's good. Well, we'll just say uh, head out to Aquaflies and take a look at some of that stuff. And you mentioned one, I'm sure, the, the pot belly, right? That'll be, will that that'll be a name that, that'll yeah. be on there? Yeah. Yeah. The, the one, the few good, well, a, a few bits of information that I, I think is advisable is for steelhead, because a lot of the rivers at Steelhead Run can be milky or murky, I like flies that have contrast. So what I mean by that is I like a dark section and a light section mm. to the fly. Yep. So I like that rather than one plain color. Uh, right. I do like that. Yeah, I like dark colors uh, and larger flies when it's really sunny. And the reason I like that is because fish haven't got eyebrows to uh, cover their eyes when it's sunny, they tend to go deeper and in faster water. So a larger fly with a bit of flash tends and dark colors tends to show up better to a fish. What I don't try and fish it slowly. I fish it fast so that they'll just see it go past them quickly. And I tend to find that that gets me more fish than fishing something small and slow. Gotcha. So that they're just a few tips that work for me. I'm not saying they'll work for everybody, yeah. but it certainly works. No, that's awesome. I love that. Um, well, and take us out of here with the, you mentioned Brian Niska. It sounds like he was a big influence uh, getting you going on the steelhead on, on the Atlantic Sam. Do you have a person you'd give a shout out to as kind of a mentor, somebody that helped you really dial things in there over the years? To be honest, uh, no, because because we hadn't got the money to fish the famous beats, etc. Mm, when I was right. young, we, we we tended to just well, no tend about it. We, we fished on our own. There's yeah. lots of water where where you can get fishing with a cottage, holiday cottage, and so we'd never had gillies. I'd never had any casting lessons. Oh, really? So you've never, you've, you've taught yourself all your cat, basically yeah. never a lesson. Yeah. And, and to be, until, uh, I started to go to certain places where that were influential places to go and fish, I'll say. Yeah, like later, uh, later on. Yeah. People never even saw my flies either because I only tie flies for myself. And you don't know whether they're great flies or, or bad flies. They're just good enough for you, which is what I, that was good enough for me. And it wasn't until people started to see my flies at other and they'd be like, oh, that's a really nice fly. You're really good. So, you know, if, if you're self-taught and, and you're just going around with the same people, I, I mean – I'd read I'd read every book going. So there's there's a number of people whose books are followed religiously, yeah. like Hugh Falkus for Atlantics and Sea Trout. Oh right. Uh, How do you that, let me write get that one? So Hugh for I've heard that before. How do you spell that last name? Hugh Falkus. It's F A L K U S. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh and he he's done a, he did a great book on sea trout fishing and he did a great book on salmon fishing as well. Uh and obviously Roderick Roderick Hague Brown's books were fantastic. Uh and he he was the main reason why I thought when I have got 
a bit of money i'm going steelhead in it was through his books which i read when i was a teenager oh wow so there you go yeah. so so hey brown that yeah. is so cool yeah and everything that he'd built in my mind about steelhead and the places you go to fish for steelhead, he put it in, he, he did it far better than I could ever put it into words. It really was that good. Gotcha. You know, I, I want to, it's hard to wrap, I'm having a hard time wrapping this up, but I, uh, steelhead wise, <laughs> steelhead wise, because this is, this is good. So your first steelhead, do you remember that fish? And can you take us there, uh, like that first fish you actually hooked into, landed, whatever? Yes, uh, it was. I was fishing. The guide was Scotty Baker, Scotty Baker McGarver. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well as I say, I'm, I'm not kidding myself. I've, been, I've fished with some of the best guides going. So I was on a real fast track with, with uh, steelhead in. Uh, I really was. So we was fishing a run, and I had a tendency, I guess, to uh, – uh, to keep on wanting to cast out to the farthest water, which is what we do for Atlantics mainly because salmon, salmon tend to sit on the outside of structure and rocks. Whereas I've always found summer steelhead in particular tend to sit on the inside oh, wow. of structure. Right. Right. Cause they're heavier. They can be bigger fish too. Right. Yeah. Like a big lazy trout that they're on the inside of structure. Yeah. So, uh, he kept on drumming into me for the first hour. You make sure that you cover the inside as well. And sure enough, it it, it tightened. And uh, it was only a chicken, probably five, six pounds. But uh, it was literally within the first hour of the trip. And uh, it just took the weight off my shoulders. So uh, that, that, was, that was amazing. Uh, it yeah. didn't do much, really. But uh, it, it was a memorable beautiful little fish wow and, and was that what um what river was that a secret river or was that, that no that was on the river bulkley uh oh, just yeah. below trout trout creek because at the time uh the canyon there used to be only done by drift boat and rafts and now there's 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 a few jet boats going there, oh there's but, some jet boats yeah at the time it, it used to be uh just rafts so yeah. uh that was a fantastic experience for for me being British because obviously we don't have this history of rafting down rivers and doing that sort of fishing. Uh, it was eye opening. It was fantastic. Amazing, yeah. I, Scott, Bay, we'll put a link. I actually had him on the podcast in episode seventeen. We're we're coming up to episode four hundred now. So that was huh. the interesting thing about that is that he has this great quote in it, which was I've got it right here on that on that blog post: ankle deep and twenty feet. We yeah. catch we catch yeah. so many fish within thirty feet of the shore that it's unbelievable. So that was yeah. that was his quote, and that's exactly what he said to get you into your first fish. Yeah, it's exactly what he did, and yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, there really is something to it. Uh, it's amazing. The first thing that I do uh, when we've got people in Alaska, like I was saying about those those uh, those columns of fish that come in in different bands. If your first guy going down a run wants to wade out to his knees to cast, all he's doing is pushing all of those bands of fish 10 or 15 feet deeper into the oh, fast right. stuff. Yeah. And the sockeye will push the chum out and the chum will push the kings out. Oh, uh, wow. So you're making it really hard for yourself. Gotcha. There's no need to go wading up to your tits anyway. Yep. Most, yep. most of the time, most of the time. I'll say most, I'll, I'll put that in. Yeah, that's right. Occasionally, occasionally. Yeah. 
Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, no, I fished up in BC a, co- a few, well, a couple times, I guess. And, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the things, high banks sometimes and stuff like that. And you're just sitting there, yeah, on the bank, casting out long casts sometimes. But no, that's cool. And it's interesting because that was back in 2018. We had Scott on and it, off air when we were getting started here. You had told me that <laughs> your account was hacked. And this is a, you know, a fun fact. Like you probably would have been on the episode probably in the first, you know, not long after Scott. He probably even mentioned you. But <laughs> I said, uh, I said a, a, a DM out to you on Instagram and I said, hey, how's it going? I just want to see if you want to come on the podcast. And you responded and said, oh, hey, you know, whatever. But I just learned that you told me that actually Stuart Foxhole, you were hacked. So that Instagram account, literally somebody is has hacked it and is responding as you, but your actual Insta- yeah. Instagram now is Stuart Foxhole Flies. That's it, yeah. That's me gotcha. now. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. we would have had you. We would have had you on a long time ago if it wasn't for that hacker. That it was, <laughs> it was like uh, you know, basically thought you didn't respond to me. So good. Yeah. The the other good thing about uh, which which I learned, uh, and no doubt this this is part of the reason why Scotty says this as well is if you're actually wading shallow, you get a faster swing into the bank, oh, and right. that that last that yeah. last ten seconds of swing is probably where you'll hook up a, a large proportion of your fish. Now, if it's static you'll get a lot of hang down takes. Whereas if you give yourself just an extra couple of seconds of swing, that hang down take will be a more aggressive take. So instead of getting your splash and fish on, fish off, you'll end up hooking, well, landing uh, a greater proportion of those takes. Yeah, that's another good one. So, and by depth, you're thinking, you know, you go out to run that typically steelhead, you say, hey, you know, uh, whatever, knee deep, somewhere in there is your typical, like, depth, three feet of, of water they hold yeah. in, right? But yeah. but you're saying, yeah, you're not standing out in that water. You're actually standing, what, down back, like Scott was saying, kind of ankle deep or even out there a little bit? Ankle deep or perhaps knee deep, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it, yeah. it really doesn't need to be unless you can actually see structure and there's a lie and you need a big cast and yeah you're trying to hit yeah i love that it's, it's such a good reminder i have a i have a buddy greg this is always i love to you know he's a big guy he's like six five you know he's my old basketball you know uh we, we were on the back in the day but um yeah he always he can go deeper you know what i mean he could go and he always feel like he's always <laughs> trying to get out deeper i'm like greg you're literally i'm coming behind i'm six feet right so i'm coming behind. i'm like uh-huh. dude you're out in the spot like pass for the fish right so i'm always making the and again he's caught fish obviously doing that but i think that like you said we could all probably step in a few steps in and be okay just cast if you need to if five ten feet longer yeah i still fish a lot with my mom uh and she, she catches a, a, a lot of fish. And obviously, she's in the 70s now, so she doesn't wade so deep. Uh, she probably, I mean, she's a really good caster, but she obviously can't cast as, as far as somebody like me who's six foot and, and fairly muscly can do. Uh, yet it's funny how some of these older ladies can consistently catch more fish than anybody else. And there's a reason they fish what they can fish and they fish it well. as opposed to pushing yourself and trying to cast 100 feet and all that sort of nonsense which all men do are you know i'll fall into the trap myself we we all do it uh but you know there's a reason why women catch fish consistently yeah love that and and i'm perfect i'm glad you took it out with your your mom because that's where we started this episode right you actually got in to fishing your mom actually got and i love that because it's one of those things where 
sometimes, you know, well, again, even like in Scotland, some of these places you hear about these things where there's not as many women fishing on some of these, these beats, right? It's still kind of a male focus. Yeah. Do you see that up there in, in England? I know in the U S we are seeing a big change to more, more women and more diversity. Are you seeing that over there too? I am and I'm not. Uh, the reason, the one thing that I have an issue with with the ladies pushing fishing is is it's obvious that some of the prettier girls are getting a bit more focus on social media right. than perhaps some of the other girls who who are great anglers, but uh, they're not getting the sponsors that perhaps they their fishing warrants or their guiding warrants. Uh, now that's. I can certainly see in the UK that there's a, a, a bit more interest in some of the prettier girls than than uh, some of the fishier girls. I'll put it that way. But it's it's quite ironic that we hear this as a narrative that there's not so many women involved in fishing as there should be. It's funny that the two record salmon, rod caught salmon, fly caught and bait caught fish in the uk were caught by women oh wow uh so uh you know and that was victorian times. so yeah and edward so uh have women never fished it, it says to me that they probably have done yeah there are they're just not getting right as much notoriety and, and stuff like yeah that. yeah yeah and um, i mean the the other thing is is years ago what i mean this is just going back onto traditional literature Nearly all the writing was done by uh, gentlemen, English gentry, who didn't have to work for a living, so travelled around all the best sporting estates, shooting and fishing. Uh, I don't think women would have gotten, gotten away with that years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And that's why there probably wasn't so much written about it, but there was certainly a lot of women fish. And even if you look at some of the fly names associated with some of the rivers, a lot of them are named after women that was fishing. Mm. So Lady Caroline, oh, yeah. Lady Florence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was obviously a lot of ladies fishing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. We we did an episode on like kind of women in fly fishing, the history with Jen Ripple, and she went into a lot of that back, going back hundreds of years and saying just what you said. There's, yeah. you know, all sorts of examples of women, you know, books and obviously huge things. Yeah. So it's it's so I, yeah, it's one of those things where it is a. It's hard from the, the 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 you know the male perspective to see kind of exactly what's going on, but but I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, there's a lot lot more than we know of. Yeah, backtracking a bit, I, I think it's really good that there are more ladies fishing and that uh, that there's a lot more notice. I mean, one of the best guides I've fished with Adrian Como uh, on the Skeena. I've fished with Whitney Gould in Alaska. I mean. They won't actually call themselves lady guides. They are fishing guides. If you speak to them, they will say, we're fishing guides. This is what we do. We, this is what we love. And they're bloody good at what they do as well. Uh, there's no need to throw the women bit into it from my point of view. Yeah, I like that. And from theirs, that they just love it because they love what they do. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, I think that's a perfect way to leave that off, uh, you know, uh, like we said, talking about how your mom got you into it and how, you know, it really, it's really not about like some, you know, sexism sort of thing. It's really just about fishing, right? We're getting out there and having yeah, a good time, yeah. whether you're fishing for salmon or uh, Atlantic salmon or, or Chinook salmon or steelhead, which is what we've kind of talked or about gudgeon. today. Or, or what was your other one? Gudgeon and cop. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah or some of those other species, which are great too. So. Yeah. 
All right, Stuart, we'll send everybody out to uh, Stuart Foxel Flies on Instagram if they have any questions for you or want to connect. And um, yeah, I want to just say thanks for all the time today. I've really enjoyed this uh, perspective, right? I mean, I think you probably have more uh, crossover Atlantic salmon steelhead experience than anybody maybe we've talked to so far. So uh, yeah, thanks for all your time today and look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thanks very much, Dave. Really enjoyed it. And uh, th- thanks for inviting me. So appreciate it. So there it is, wetflyswing.com slash 391. 391 It's going to get you uh, some links and show notes and everything else you need over there to uh, get a head start on your next big trip. Maybe you're chasing steelhead or salmon, or maybe you're going for trout. Whatever that is, why don't you reach out to me and let me know. We recently had a nice shout-out from, uh, this is on Instagram, not underscore Micah Garma on Instagram, who gave us a big shout-out and a uh, story post. And uh, he also mentioned that uh, he wanted to hear a couple of Northern California episodes and guests that he would love to hear on. So we're going to put that together for uh, for not underscore Micah Garma, and we're going to make sure to get down the line in 2023 some of those episodes. One of them is pretty good. It sounds like there's an interesting story about a skateboarder mixed in there somewhere. So we're going to do our best to get on that. If you get a chance, you want to give a shout out for this podcast, uh, do an Instagram story, give us a shout out. We will definitely put together an episode for you, some content. You just got to reach out to me do that or send me a dm and let me know that would be great and if you can add some music in there that's always a big bonus that music kick i got going i just uh, recently uh, i'm kind of a uh, uh, a late follower but i signed up on spotify i've been loving spotify for a while because of their dedication to the podcasting but they obviously have a ton of music and uh, and it's pretty awesome to have now that uh, that wide selection of all the good music there so we're going to be listening to that now. If you get a chance, um, we are heading out, uh, actually this weekend, heading out to Ohio to meet up with Jeff Liskey and the crew, and we're going to be doing some steelhead fishing. So I uh, would love to get out with you on an upcoming trip. If you have an idea for a trip, you can always give me an uh, email, dave at wetflyswing.com, or you can just check out what we have going. We have a trip coming here soon, a trout trip uh, that is right around the corner. So or thinking Euro nymphing. If you have an interest in that, um, you can jump on that and let me know. And we're going to be filling some slots to get out and do some nymphing, probably on the west, probably starting out on the western part of the U.S. And then we might migrate across to the east side. All right, check in with me anytime, Dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any questions or need anything. And I am going to get out of here right now. So hope you are having a good evening, a good morning, or a good afternoon wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to catching you on the water very soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.